as we're staying with the word of the Lord tonight, uh, we're continuing our series, uh, part three of the turning of a nation, Judges, the second chapter, we pulling our text from that, Judges 2.11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, followed other gods, the gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Amen. Um, tonight is continuation part three. Amen. Turn around, wave to a few people as you're seated this evening. And we have been looking into the formation and foundation of this young nation called Israel. We've watched it develop and form by the very hand of God. And when God made a promise to a man named Abram that from his seed a nation would be born, and that God would attach his most holy name to this very nation, and it would be unlike every other nation on the face of the earth, a holy nation made up of peculiar people. Not peculiar because of their skin color or their race, but peculiar solely because they would be the only people on the earth that would worship the one true living God, Jehovah. We watch history unveil itself and with miraculous events unfolding over 500 years and finally Israel is founded and God has a nation of his own. And, but we begin noticing that within one generation in a matter of 20 years after its founding, we see Israel begin to turn from this God that formed them. And start worshiping other gods. And this turning isn't manifested for some years, but the turning, the turn can start with a single choice. That turns your heart away, thus will eventually turn your home away. And finally, after enough hearts and enough homes are turned, it is manifested in the hills of the country. The turning is now and will be seen in the public venues and is broadcasted for others to see. And as we mentioned last week, once God is kicked out, then the nation can write its own laws and decide what truth really means to them. Once godlessness is publicly uh, proclaimed and uh, a godless society is now being formed. Uh, this godless society will determine what the new morals are and what the new standards of living will be once truth has been discarded. And not caring for what the word of God has to say because his word has already been removed from their hearts and their homes and is now 
uh, from the hills of its public society. We are we witnessed this turning take place in Israel, and we've witnessed this take place in America. So, what is God to do? What is God to do if we can see the turning? Surely God sees it and he knows it, even before it actually happens. And so what is God to do to his nation? Every other nation of the earth has never really worshipped the one true God. And so if those nations, those idolatrous nations vote to worship some other God or institute some other form or uh, idolatrous practice for their society and citizens to follow, uh, God isn't really driven to act because they're already ungodly. They never really started out as the godly nation and so for them to switch to worshiping other false gods, it doesn't necessarily move God the way it Israel moved God. Uh, because they had never given God the time of day. And so a turning in their hearts and in their homes isn't that big of a deal because they are already have been doomed for judgment regardless. But when a godly nation turns, when the nation that God himself helped build and form, when, when that nation turns from him, then... God might just get a little upset, and he might have something to say about it since he himself brought them out of slavery and formed them himself. And so what is God to do when a nation turns against him and against his word? Some might say to unleash hellfire and brimstone upon their heads, Make them feel your wrath, God, and turn their society into a pile of ashes. That'll teach them. Actually, it won't because they won't be alive to learn from that lesson. So that doesn't work. At least not in the beginning. Uh, so contrary to what some might think, the anger and the wrath of God is not his first response, thankfully. Psalms 103 and 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Aren't you thankful that God is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy? And so I, I'm thankful for that in my own life. I don't know about your life and your actions, but I'm thankful in my life that God is slow to anger towards me and plenteous in mercy because, oh, how I need his mercy. So I think we can probably say that God's first response is not judgment, is not hellfire and brimstone. Thankfully for that. And so what did you do, what did you do or what do you currently do when your child or children disobeyed your rules? Did you immediately send them to a foster home the first time they turned against you? <laughs> I have other brothers and sisters, apparently. <laughs> Praying for them. 
Well, when your children turn against you, you probably uh, give them warning and warnings and warnings, warnings. And then you implemented some form of correction to reinforce the errors in their ways so you can help them see their errors. To help them turn their heart back to you. This hurts me more than it will hurt you. That is being said as the parent is reaching for the spoon or the stick or the ladle or spatula or belt or paddle or any other improvised rod of correction. This will hurt me more than it will hurt you. It might feel like judgment, but really it's only a chastisement or a slim correction. It might be painful, but in the big picture, it's just only a little taste of what judgment could actually be. When God brings judgment, it's final. When there isn't any coming back from God's judgment, you're all done. When he says it's done, you're done. And as powerful as the judgment of God is, what has the power to look at judgment and say, hold it right there. Don't make another move, judgment. The only thing that has the power to do that is God's mercy. His mercy will tell his judgment to take a seat and hold on for a second. And the only way that judgment will come then is because the mercy of God stopped interfering. And says, I've done enough. They've given, they've received enough mercy. I've had enough grace on them. They obviously have not turned their ways. And so therefore, judgment now can have its turn. Because we know that God is slow to anger and slow to uh, judgment. And so if judgment actually comes, know that God has given plenty of warnings. Plenty of chastisements, plenty of spaces and opportunity for a correction to be made. And if, if not, uh, then judgment can finally con- come. And so once his mercy has had enough of being taken advantage of and said, I have tried and tried and tried. I, I cannot hold back judgment any longer and then judgment will come because he is slow to anger. And doesn't want, really want to judge, but people give him no choice. The judgment of God is not something that you will want to see because you probably will not survive it. And so God does not want us or anybody to face his judgment. Second uh, Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to us, word, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to come to repentance. He does not want a single soul to perish. He does not want a single soul to face his judgment. He would rather have everybody turn to God in repentance. He desires that us all would come to repentance and turn our hearts to him so that nobody has to face his eternal judgment. But people will say, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? 
How can a loving God do that to somebody? Well, plain and simple, he doesn't. God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. God gives us a choice. Choose A or B. B is hell. You choose. And so if, if anybody is in hell or goes to hell, they sent themselves because they did not hearken or listen to the word of God. Uh, and so they, their hearts are turned from God, and therefore they turn their eternity from God. And God doesn't make the choice people do. He laid everything out and gave us the opportunity to do that. And so there will be a whole line of people waiting and ready to argue their case against God. And when he says, depart from me, there is nothing that they can do about that. His word will be final. And so if you don't want to face God's judgment, then all you have to do is to follow his commandments and abide by his word. And then you will not face that judgment. And then when you stand before God and he'll look at your life and all your sins will be blotted out by the blood of the lamb and his righteousness will cover you and his judgment will say, I find no fault in that person. Go and enter into the joy of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm going to be striving for. And so now I have to live my present life according to the word of God so that one day I will not face his judgment if I abide by his word now. And that is what God wants for every single person to uh, escape his judgment. And so God's nation has turned from him and are worshiping other gods. What does God do then? What does his warning and his chastisement look like to get their attention? His, his warnings will always come from his word and a preacher will declare them, uh, and a preacher is one who publicly declares the word of the, of the Lord, whether it be good or bad. Uh, the preacher is just a vessel, and it should not have uh, uh, take partiality in, in the word of God. Should, his, his job is just to declare and to speak the word of God. A preacher that only declares the good things and skips over the bad or the unpopular verses or one who takes the word of God and separates it into pieces and this is essential and this is not essential. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, that is not a preacher or a prophet, but that would be a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing because that person, that preacher, is not declaring the whole entire word of God. And so I want to hear the whole word of God. I don't want anything left out of, me, out of it because it is crucial to the eternal existence of our soul where that goes. And so we need to preach the truth. Uh, in its entirety, every single verse, every chapter, every book needs to apply to our life and we need to search it and see if we are obeying it all. Because if, 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 if someone who does not preach the whole truth is not somebody that you would want to follow, because if they won't preach the whole truth and you'll never hear God's full warning and you'll never know what to do to turn back to God. Uh, and sadly, because of that, people will ultimately face the judgment of God for listening to a false prophet. But the word of God says, also says, to work out your own salvation 
and to study to show yourself approved. And so God inserted those clauses in there to redirect the responsibility of your own soul back to you. And so even though you may say, God, uh, this preacher spoke so well and he just captured us with his words and uh, he never told me that I need to repent of my sins or never told me that I need to be baptized in Jesus' name or receive the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. He never told me that God will say, well, you obviously never read the word of God because it says study to show yourself approved. And so ultimately, we have to study the word and to make sure we are following it ourselves because if the preacher isn't preaching the truth, you can't blame them for it. We can only blame ourselves because only we have the power uh, to decide where we spend eternity. Most of the Old Testament preachers were not popular. They were not liked because they were telling the people to quit their sinning to turn their ways, turn their hearts back to God. Otherwise, they would face the impending judgment that was coming. And so they were ridiculed and ignored, and many of them were even killed by the very people of God, which did not end well because they would ultimately face God's judgment because they did not listen to the word of God. When God sent them a messenger, they just silenced them and kept on going the way they wanted to go. So, God will send as many warnings as His mercy will allow. He will chastise His people who have turned from Him and are living in sin, not because He hates them, but because He loves them and wants them to come back to Him and return back to uh, worshiping the one true God. And when Israel would not listen then God would have to turn up the volume and turn up the chastisement. As Israel's sinning increased, so too their suffering thus would increase. The further you go from God, the more it's going to hurt. Plain and simple, the more you turn from Him, the harder uh, the correction has to come. We see in Judges 3 and 7, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Chushanrishathim. We'll just call him Chui for short. King of Mesopotamia and the children of Israel served Chui eight years. Since the nation of Israel was a free nation and delivered from the bondage of Egypt, this was the very first instance where they would now begin to feel the pressure of another king, the whip of another country uh, of Mesopotamia, the king uh, would oppress them. It's, it's not that they were conquered. And they were not conquered and they were not driven out as slaves into some foreign land. But it is believed that they were, they were just oppressed and they were most likely they were taxed by this king. And he, he uh, placed a heavy tax upon them. He hit them in their pocketbook and probably with many other decrees and rules. Uh, but they were under the thumb of King Chewy. Uh, and so they still lived in their homes. 
they were still in their own country, but now they were being heavily taxed and heavily oppressed, something that the, the, the nation of God should not experience. If they're being oppressed by another nation, something is wrong with the nation of God. Because that should not happen. That's now how, how God establishes for his nation to live in the rule in this world. God set up Israel to be, the, to, to be the example of the world, to be the greatest nation on the earth that all nations can look to and learn about who the true God is. And so if something is happening to Israel uh, that is not good for it, then something is wrong on the inside of Israel. For God to sell them into another king's hand, something is uh, terribly wrong. That means God and this king made a deal. As scripture says, he sold them into uh, this king's hand. Obviously, the king had no idea about this deal, but God made a deal with him. God wrote out a bill of sale and said, you can invade and you can impress, oppress my people Israel but only for eight years. After eight years, your power will end, and our agreement is over and becomes null and void after eight years. Why? Because this wasn't final judgment for Israel. This was just to get their attention, to turn them back to him, uh, because God does not is slow to anger, and he was not going to uh, sin final judgment the first time that they start turning against him. And we see in Judges 3, 9, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And so it took Israel eight years to figure out why they were being oppressed. That's how far they were from God. It took them eight years to fi finally figure it out. We need to turn back to God. After eight years of being oppressed, they finally cried unto God. Finally, the pleasures of their sins wore off, and they turned their hearts back to God and repented, and God finally delivered them once they realized where they were at. Judges 3.11, and the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And so... God sends chastisement, they feel oppression for eight years, and finally they realize, they come to the air of their ways, they repent and come back to God, cry out to Him, He delivers them, and the land had rest 40 years, 40 years of bliss, things are back to normal again, thank God, wonderful time, peace again, the Lord's blessings are now back. But then we get to the very next verse, verse 12, the children of Israel did evil again, in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the son of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Obviously, some, there's, there's something, a communication breakdown happening because they were just oppressed. And God just delivered them. But now, 40 years later, now they're back at it, sinning against God. And he gathered unto them, Ahim, the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. This time, the second instance, it's a little bit more intense. Now we see that Israel is smitten, whatever that means. And this king now 
possesses the city of palm trees, which is uh, Jericho. Now they lose a city. Now the enemy has a stronghold inside their homeland. These things were not described when they're first falling away, but only in the second time. Uh, and so obviously we see God, this is the second time. I guess I need to speak a little louder. I need to ramp things up a little bit to help get their attention even more. Uh, and verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Not only did God increase the pressure, he also increased their sentence. But what, what makes more sense is that Israel got deeper in sin and it took them longer to realize their error of their ways. 18 years this time it took them before they cried out to God in verse 15 when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of uh, Gerar, uh, Benjamite, a, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And so, not only are we seeing a more severe chastisement from the Lord, but we are still seeing God's mercy happening. In that their suffering is only temporary. Even though it's 18 years, at least it's not 19 years. Thanks for the mercy of God that it's not 19 or 20 years. And, uh, and, and the mercy of God lets these, his people return to him after they did this uh, evil against the Lord. We see the chastisement of God, but we still see the mercy of God because he's still allowing them back, even though he already knows what's going to happen down the road. God hates to chastise his, his children, but his love for them will not leave them in their sin. Not without a helping hand and, and not without a way that they can return back to him because his love is so strong for his children and his people that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height nor depth or any other creature can separate us from the love of God. And so uh, we see the chastisement of God, his strong arm uh, applying pressure to his nation, but we also still see his love and his mercy. Hebrews 12 and 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Whoever the Lord loveth, he's going to chasten. He's going to send correction because he does not want judgment, final judgment to come upon them. And so he loves them so much that he will chasten them. He will send a, a rod of correction to help them uh, turn from their ways and turn their hearts to him. And verse 7, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So basically Hebrews tells us that we should be thankful that God chastens us. We should be thankful for his chastening, that it is a blessing because he can just sit back and say, adios, have fun. That's what you want to do. You can go and do things on your own. 
But thankfully, God has mercy and he loves his children that he will not let us go that quickly. That he will, cha- he will chasten us. He will send warnings to us. He will help get our attention to try to, uh, to turn us back to him because he wants his children uh, back in his arms where they belong. And who, uh, who is a son who the father does not chasten? If, if children are not chastened, then what do they grow up to be? Devils. You see them all around the society today. Uh, you can imagine if they lived decades ago, maybe their hearts would be turned to a different direction. And so those that would not serve the Lord in the abundance of all things with joy and gladness. If, if God blesses you and, and gives you prosperity and riches and all these things, if uh, those that won't serve God in the abundance of all things will serve their enemies in their want of all things, they'll serve them with sadness and brokenness. And so if God cannot satisfy our every want, and we will serve our enemies in seeking out everything that our heart desires. Ultimately, you cannot live without God and be happy. You cannot follow truth if your heart is turned away from God. How can you listen to, tr- to what truth says if your heart is turned from God? Musicians, if you would come. One of the ways that God chastised Israel was that they would lose military battles and that other nations would conquer them and and smote them and 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 hurt them and imprison them and so when when Achan commits sin by taking home the spoils of Jericho how does God get Israel's attention Well, in the very next battle at Ai, they get beat. Joshua says, oh, this is a small town. We just just defeated Jericho, the the, the strongest fortress in all the land. Uh, Ai is just a small town. Just send about 3,000 guys over there. You can easily just take them out. This is where Israel suffers a deadly defeat. A small battle, a military battle is what gets the attention uh, of the nation of Israel. Israel comes to a screeching halt when they lost the battle. How can we just, how can we lose this battle when we had just defeated the mighty city of Jericho? Well, obviously, God led Joshua to discover what the sin was, but had God never got their attention somehow, then they would have continued in their ways and continued to lose, and they would never realize what was going on. They would just say, well, this just must be a, a cycle or something just happening. We, we don't even figure out. But God is always going to try to expose the sin. Why? So that we can uh, uh, address it and repent of it and turn our ways back to Him. And so... God always tries to get our attention before judgment officially will come. And so God gets the attention of Israel by losing military battles because what, how else, what other grander stage can you get their attention than by losing 
a military battle. When Israel was living right and their hearts were fixed on God, no nation could defeat them. When they were following the the laws of God, no army would be able to stand against them because God would go and fight for them and drive fear into the very hearts of their enemy. But when Israel turns from God, they start losing. They start losing battles, losing people, losing soldiers, losing cities, losing uh, material goods and and farms, and they start losing when they turn from God. In that is God's chastisement, and it's a warning to them, hey, you need to figure out what's going on in your life. Why are you losing when you should not be losing? And so this was a warning to them. You need to wake up and figure out why you are losing because with God's favor, you should not lose a single battle. America, since its birth and formation, from what I can put together, has won every major war it's been in. But in 1962, America started a public assault on God and our great American wisdom. We started removing prayer from our schools and banning it in public places. And the word of God started coming under assault. And then the Ten Commandments would start being removed from the public and removed from courthouses. The sign of a nation turning. And so what is America's response to all this. Now that we've removed God from our society, we can do what we want. Hopefully that's not our response. Since our hearts have turned from God and He is not in our homes, let's publicly show our rebellion and disdain for the Word of God and do drugs openly in the streets. I know the Word of God talks about modesty and standards of holiness. Well, let's just start removing our clothing and wear less and less of it. I know the Word of God says to flee fornication and do not commit adultery, but now that we're removing God, we can have free love and do whatever our heart desires because there's a turning that's happening. And this was all started... 1962 when it started coming after prayer in the word of God. So I, I pose a question, was America involved in any military endeavors during this time? 1960s started the war of Vietnam or we got involved in that, in, in that time. We've been undefeated as a nation. And then Vietnam happens, and I don't think we won that. 58,318 of our soldiers were killed. 153,303 were wounded in action. Could our loss in Vietnam be a sign from God that our hearts were turning from Him? Did America listen? Did we heed to God's warning? Did we even think twice about anything like that? Well, one week, one week to the day after we withdrew or 
uh, from Vietnam in January of 1973 with our heart, with our heads hanging in shame. One week after this, the Supreme Court declares that abortion is legal, turning our hearts even further from God. And based on what Israel did by sacrificing its children to other gods, the purposeful killing of innocent children to satisfy an ungodly lifestyle, if there is one sin that God absolutely abhors and detests is the killing of innocent children to some ungodly lifestyle. And so in 1973, America starts with the defeat in Vietnam and now publicly is allowing abortions to take place. And God have mercy on America. You stand with me tonight. Here are some more interesting events that happened in 1973. Maybe, maybe there are more warnings from God. Three weeks after declaring abortion is legal, the U.S. dollar is devalued by 10%. An immediate financial impact, 10% loss in our dollar. One week after that, a 5.8 earthquake happens off the coast of California. April 4th, America celebrates the official opening of the World Trade Center. A symbol of our nation's financial strength, our power, and our dominance in the world. April 30th, in the highest office in the land, the Watergate scandal begins. May 3rd, Sears Tower is finished, becoming the tallest building in the world, reaching 200 more feet into the heavens, higher than the Chrysler Building. July 12th, National Archives fire in St. Louis, 18 million military records are lost. October 10th, Vice President of the United States resigns and is charged with tax evasion, the first vice president to resign due to a scandal. October 19th, the oil crisis begins, leading to gas prices quadrupling, sending America into an economic recession. The stock market crash of 1973 through 1974 was one of the worst since the Great Depression. Finish off the year, December 15th, homosexuality is removed from the Manual of Mental Disorders and on its way to being accepted. The warnings and chastisements of God come in many forms. It's just a matter if we're listening or not, or if we care to listen, or if we're so caught up in our life of blessing and abundance. Sure, we can see, we can easily write all these things off as of cycles, and there's uh, cycles of ups and down. There's bull markets and bear markets. That's just can be a way just to excuse it all. There's nothing to, nothing to look at. No need for me to search my soul because my 
retirement loss, 40%. It's not my fault. I'm not doing anything wrong. Just the cycle. So the warnings and chastisements of God come in many forms. And so even though we continue to do great things as a nation, good deeds do not eradicate sin that is among us. Israel committed evil, turned from God, and they came back and they had bad years and they had good years. And Israel had their cycles of worshiping God and then worshiping others and forgetting about God and crying back out to Him. The good years, the good times, the times and years of prosperity are in no way do they erase the sin and the evil that is committed of, of a society. The only way that America can escape any judgment that may be coming is to repent and to turn its heart back to Him. The signs are out there. The warnings are out there. The, the chastisements of God are have been implemented for years and years and years, but uh, are we listening? Are, are we looking? Or are, are we just so caught up and numbed by all the blessings and the, the, the prosperity of being the greatest nation to ever exist? But how great is it really if it never submits to the Word of God? Or if it turns its heart away from God, how great can it truly be? Yeah, we can build towers and buildings that reach far into the heavens and declare our greatness, but how long will that last if our hearts are turned from God? There needs to be a turning in the nation, a turning back to God. A turning back to prayer, a turning back to consecration, a turning back to sacrifice and, and forgetting all the things that the world can easily bless us with. But there needs to be a turning back to God. And it has to start in our hearts. It has to start in our homes. If we want to see it into the streets of America, we have to be willing to make the sacrifice and say, God, use me. God, show me the things that are, are distracting in me. Help get rid of the weights in my life that are pulling me away from the word of God in these last days because there are signs and there are more signs coming. There are more earthquakes than ever before. When the people in the world will not listen maybe God says that maybe if I shake the world the physical world enough maybe they'll listen. Maybe if there are earthquakes that open up the earth and and, and and tsunamis and all kinds of things happen, maybe that'll get their attention. Because they're not getting my attention now. Maybe, maybe God has to say, I'll just let this tiny little virus out and let the world come to a screeching halt. Don't think that whatever is going on right now is not in the hand of God. 
And that God will not use this coronavirus as a, a chastisement or a sign or something to get our hearts to turn back to Him. And so if there needs to be a turning, the turning needs to happen in our hearts. We need to start for, forsaking all those things and uh, uh, pursuing all the desires of the things of this world. But we need to turn our hearts back to God. And we as the people of God need to be the first ones to do that, to turn our hearts back to Him. And so why don't you close your eyes. And why don't you sing with me as we as we cry out to God? Oh God, help us as a people, your people, to turn back to you, Jesus. Help me, Lord, to break the pride, the ego, God, in our life. God, we need your mercy more than ever before. God, have mercy upon us, Jesus. Have mercy upon us, this nation. What is really important in these last days? Not get caught up in all this. You are
worship him one more time. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love, God, that you give us the space, God, to find you at an altar of repentance, God, and to turn our ways back to you. We give you the praise and the glory. We thank you, Jesus. What good is a great career if God is sidelined and we turn our hearts to the career and say, God, you can wait. What good is having all the blessings of the world and what good is being the greatest country in all the world? God is not a respecter of persons. And so we're patriotic. We love America, but God doesn't care. If, if, if America turns from him and his ways, they'll just be like any other nation that would end up facing judgment because it didn't uphold the law of God. Aren't you thankful that God is slow to anger, that he doesn't send judgment right away, that he's plenteous in mercy? But we need to seek his mercy while he may be found. He's not always going to be around. It's coming a time where he's going to say it's all over now. And once the church is removed from this world, what's left but the judgment that this world deserves. And I don't want to be here for that. Amen. We serve a mighty, loving God. And as long as we search him with our heart and serve him full with our heart, amen, we will find the love and peace of God. Amen. God bless you all. You're just